little bit anticlimactic, a little bit uh, how do you follow that act, and it's kind of known among us preachers and pastors as sort of a, a down Sunday because everybody's sort of exhaling and catching their breath and regaining strength, um, and that happened to, in a way, to two men that we're going to read about right now. Uh, out of Luke 24. Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that tells us about this story. But I'm going to talk to you about Easter Holy Ghost heartburn. How many of you know that Christianity is not an intellectual thing only, but Christianity is of the heart? Amen? I mean, we're in love with someone. It's not that we just believe in someone. We're in love with someone. His name is Jesus. And we are, like Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. So we're going we're gonna to read about Holy Ghost heartburn, how two men lost it and how they got it back. So let's look here. Now behold, two of them, it says in Luke 24, verse 13, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Now we don't have the rest of the next two verses, but I'm going to read it to you. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that that you have? Have you ever had the Lord swoop in on you and say, what in the world are y'all talking about? Okay? What are you talking about with one another as you walk and are sad I'm going to stop there. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word today. And I thank you that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he sets our hearts on fire. And I pray that, Lord, Holy Ghost fire will be reignited in some, maintained in others, but increased in all of us. In Jesus' name. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, set my heart on fire. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't burn out, burn on. Amen. Now, led by the Holy Spirit, Luke is telling us about these two men. We know that one of them's name was Cleopas. Uh, we don't know the name of the other, but two men are, are um, leaving Jerusalem. On the day of the morning, Jesus rose from the dead. But they don't fully understand this at all. They are in the dark. And we find them discouraged, disillusioned. Their world has pretty much collapsed. They don't understand what has happened with Jesus' uh, death, crucifixion, and they sure don't have a grip on the fact that he has risen. It's only a floating rumor by this time because some of the women have gone to the tomb and they have found the tomb empty and they encountered an angel. And the angel said, I want you to go and tell the disciples that he has risen. So these rumors are floating around, but these two men, they don't get it yet at all. And so they have essentially said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up my marbles and I'm going home. It never occurred to me until this week that uh, they're, they're probably just going home. I used to, I used to teach and when I, when I minister this message that, that they were leaving Jerusalem where their home was and they were kind of going to a getaway place and then they were going to come back. But no, I think they were from Emmaus and they were going home. They were saying, you know what, I don't get it. This has blown me away. His crucifixion was traumatic. I don't know what to do with this. My dream has died. 
He was my dream. He was my hope. He was my future. I put all my eggs into that basket, all my marbles into what was going on with this man named Jesus. And now they hung him on a cross and he was brutalized. And, and I saw it, and I, I saw him on the cross from a distance, and I, I can't wrap my mind around what happened to this one who walked on the water and healed the sick and raised the dead and always seemed to be in control. How in the world things got so crazy and out of control that he was actually killed. I can't believe they killed him. And as they're walking along, a stranger comes up to them. They don't recognize who it is. It's the risen Jesus. I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about why they didn't recognize him. But a stranger comes walking up and begins talking to them and says, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you so sad? That's the Wickwire paraphrase version. What's wrong with you guys? What are you so sad about? And they began to unload on him. Now, I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to show you today that their problem was threefold. They had a threefold problem. And you know what the threefold problem did? It snuffed out the flame and the fire of the Holy Ghost and of zeal and of excitement and passion. It quenched their passion, this threefold problem. But then they discovered a threefold solution to their problem. And I'm going to show you both. I'm going to show you why they went down the way they did and how it affected them and how it affects you and me when we do the same thing. And then I'm going to show you how what they did to get out of it because truth be known, some of you wish you were excited like you used to be. Seems like the zeal has died. Here we are post-Easter and some of you feel just like they did. Matter of fact, this little walk, it was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so a few hours they were walking. And when I read this story, I see that the road to Emmaus is really a snapshot of life. It's, it's life in microcosm. It's life in miniature. Because what they encountered on this seven-mile journey of a few hours is, really is the story of our life. And so I'm going to talk to you about their problem and their solution. Because I want everybody walking out of here with Holy Ghost heartburn. Amen? How many of you have a heartburn problem? In, in the physical and the natural. Okay, the rest of you just don't want to admit it. I know, I understand. But you got to, well, that's a bad kind of heartburn, but there is a good kind of heartburn where you wake up and you go to church because you want to, not because you have to. You involve yourself in the work of the Lord, not out of duty, but out of delight. You are driven by emotion and passion and fire because you love him. He is not a religion. He is a relationship. This is not something that you just believe. It is something you feel. Listen, we are in a living, breathing, daily relationship with him, or we ought to be. So I'm going I'm to unpack this, this little journey they took. And, and let me first show you the problem, threefold problem. Here it is. The first thing, their plans had not worked out. Their plans had not worked out. Now, when I was young and recently married, uh, if you had come up to me and said, uh, Jeff, what does your future hold? I would have ripped it right off to you. I would have told you, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. I'm going here. I'm going there. I fully get where I'm going. I know what I'm about. But then if you came to me about 20, 30 years later and said, where's your future going, Jeff? I would say, you know, the Lord's will be done. Because what I found is all the plans that I had, some of them worked out, some of them didn't. 
God took me down some detours. There were some stop signs. There were some detours. There were, there were events. There were circumstances. There were even some tragedies and various and sundry things that came my way. And even though I would say essentially what I had in mind has come to pass in that I'm in ministry, but many of the ways and manifestations that I thought it would take didn't, and it took other ways and other manifestations and went other routes and other roads. And, but, but here's what I can tell you. Even though the Lord altered some of my plans, here's what I've found. He always had a better plan. He always had a better plan. That's why the Bible says, Romans 8, 28, we all know this verse, but he's able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And so God always, for me, had a better plan. Even though he changed things up, and sometimes I didn't like it. How many of you who have walked with God for a while can say, he's changed some of my plans? Now, how many of you can say, thank God he changed the plans I had? Well, that was an even stronger response. Some of you are thinking who, uh, who you almost married. I'm just kidding. Things like that. Aren't you glad that sometimes God doesn't answer your prayer? Because he's got a better plan. And so it was with these two disciples. The, 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 the plan they had didn't work out. And I'm going to explain to you in just a minute what that plan was. So their plans didn't work out. And that was one of the things that quenched the fire in them. But then there was another part of their problem. They were living in the past. They were living in the past. As they walked home, they were rehashing the past. And we know this because when Jesus walked up to them and said, Hey, what are you guys talking about? What's the problem? Why are you so sad? They used the word were. And when they used the word were, that shows us they were hearkening back to the past. Here's what they said. We were hoping. We were hoping. We don't know who you are, but here's the deal. We were hoping. We were expecting. We, we, we had... Uh, we were banking on certain things coming to pass, and they just haven't come to pass. And, and, and we miss those times when we were following him, when we knew where we were going, we knew what we were about, we knew who we were, and we thought we knew what the future held. Those were the days. Now, here was part of their problem. They didn't understand all the Bible prophecy about the Messiah who was to come. And this is what messed up their expectations. Because, folks, we need to understand that when the Bible prophesied about the coming Messiah, it was twofold. He was to come as a suffering Messiah first and as a conquering Messiah second. He has come as the suffering Messiah already 21 centuries ago, and he's about to return as the conquering Messiah. They understood about the conquering Messiah, but they didn't understand about the suffering Messiah. Like there are verses that they knew, and I can read you a couple of them. <clears throat> Isaiah prophesied, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Talking about the Messiah. Notice Isaiah said, the Messiah is coming and he's going to be over the government of the world. He's going to rule the world. That conquering Messiah is yet to come. Isaiah 
also predicted, he, that is Messiah, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train, uh, train for war anymore. When the Messiah comes as conquering Messiah, as ruling Messiah, good news today, church, war is going to stop. There will never be peace on earth until the Prince of Peace returns. But when the Prince of Peace returns, there's going to be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. All right? And they understood that. They understood those, those predictions. And so here comes Jesus walking on the water, healing the sick, raising the dead. They can't seem to get to him, to hurt him. They can't do anything. It seems like he's always on top of everything. He speaks like no man ever spoke. This is the guy. This is the one. He has come to deliver us from the tyranny and the oppression of Rome. This is the guy. He's about to change our world. And then he ends up on a cross. Say what? We don't get it. This is quenching my fire. This is hurting my zeal. This is, uh, we don't know how to handle this. The thrill is gone. I don't know what to do anymore. We were wrong, they were thinking. They didn't know about these. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on the suffering Messiah the iniquity of us all. They didn't know that one. So when this was fulfilled, they didn't get it. And that's why they were living in the land of we were hoping Oh, I wish we could go back to those times when we were so sure. Those were the days. And you know, let me tell you something, folks. They were living in the past. As Jesus walked up and said, what are you talking about? They showed him, we are rehashing, we are, we are resurrecting, we are living in the past. Their favorite song would have been if they lived today. Those were the days, my friend, we thought they would never end. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But it was a famous song, and, and it's true. There are people who think that. Those were the days, my friend. Oh, that's when we had church. That's when God was moving. Boy, that's when the money was coming in, and we were happy, and, 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 and oh, those, those were the days. I wish we could go back to those days. They were living in the past. And do you know that when you live in the past that way, it's going to quench your fire? Because the past is past. We fall into the same trap as we get older, don't we? Fall, very, very same trap. Now, and I want to tell you, it's not bad to remember the past and learn from the past, but you can't live there. You don't look through the, the rearview mirror. You don't drive with the rearview mirror. You, you make occasional glances into it, and then you look through the windshield lest you crash. But some people live in the past. They, they've got their houses built in the past. Do you know what? Emmaus, where they were going, represented the past. That is, I'm, I'm done with Jerusalem. I'm done with this Jesus thing. I'm going back to what I used to know. I'm going to my old home, and I'm going to live in Emmaus, which means to live in the past because I can't handle the present. 
The Bible said it's unwise to dwell on the past and live in the past because it's gone. There's nothing you can do about what's past. I know people, you get around them, and all you're going to hear about is the way things used to be. And you know what they're really telling you? It's never going to get any better. My former days, what happened back there is the best that's ever going to happen to me. And there's a Greek word for that, and it's called baloney. <laughs> baloney. You know, folks, we gotta get, we gotta get to where, uh, I thank God for what He did in the past, but I'm excited about what He's doing now. I'm excited about the now. I wanna see what God's gonna do now. That, that's why God spoke to, through Isaiah to the people of Israel and said, Quit considering the former things and quit remembering the things of old, meaning quit bringing them up and focusing on what used to be. Then he said, behold, I will do a new thing. Shall it not spring forth? And then he said, will you not know it? See, here's these disciples. They're so focused on the past that the new thing, the resurrected Messiah, is right here, standing right next to them, talking to them, and they didn't even catch it. Isn't that amazing? They missed it. Shall you not know it? And then God said, I'm going to make... I'm going to make a path in your wilderness, and I'm going to make rivers in your desert. I'm going to show you how to get out of this dry place into a brand new thing. Shall you not know it? Now, where are you in your life? Are you living in the past? I got a word from God for you. Stop it. So, oh, that was the relationship I remember, and boy, the, the church I remember, and the move of God. Hey, God is moving today. We're going to see God move today. He's got new things coming our way today. And we need to be excited about today. Amen. But these two sad disciples were digging up the past, and they were miserable because of it. And there stood a resurrected Savior, and they didn't even catch it. And that's the third thing I want to point out about their problem. Their problem was they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus. There he was, walking with them, talking with them, and they didn't recognize Jesus. It says their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. Now, you say, well, why were their eyes prevented? Let me give you an idea. Let me give you a possibility. Their sorrow and their unbelief and their focus on the past had blinded them to being able to see Jesus in their now. I want you to say with me, now faith is. Now, Jesus is not just back there in your past. Jesus is right next to you right now, walking with you today, going with you today, talking to you today, involved in your life today. So he's a now savior. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am right now. So they didn't even recognize him. And not only did they not recognize him, here's what blows me away. The Bible says he was a stranger to them. Are you, they said to Jesus, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who's unaware of what has happened? Are you the only stranger? He was a stranger to them. Now, let me tell you something that I know after pastoring 32 years and seeing a, a lot of Easter's. There's people who were here last Sunday, and there's people who uh, went to some Easter service somewhere in the world, all around the world, and today Jesus is a stranger to them. Because, you see, you can be in proximity to him and not know him. You can be close but not in. And let me just tell you the truth. There's a lot of people that come to Jesus because they want to be sure they've got fire insurance for the day they die. Yeah. 
So they come to Jesus and they say, oh, you're the Savior. Well, I want a Savior because when I die, I sure want to go to heaven. So, Lord, uh, forgive me my sins and be my Savior. And they stop there and they forget the Lord part. They don't understand the terms of the deal. Here's the terms of the deal. He's not just Savior, but he wants to be involved in our lives intimately each and every day. He wants us to grow to know him more and more. He wants us to be intimate with him, close to him, near to him, in love with him, walking with him, talking with him, experiencing him. Is anybody hearing me today? See, there they were, they were following Jesus around, but just the day of the resurrection, he's a stranger to them. They don't recognize him. Here's what we need to understand. Between our salvation and heaven, there is a journey. And in that journey, Jesus wants us walking with him each and every day. He said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anyone hears my knock and opens the door, listen to what the Living Bible says. It says, I will come right in and sit down to have supper with you. In the first century, supper, eating with somebody was the way you got to know them. It was, it, it was the, the way that you fellowship with people. You invited them over and you had a meal with them. We, we do the same thing. People come here to church on Wednesday nights. As soon as church is over, they flood Fridays and all these different restaurants down there that I think owe me a discount next time I go in because we send so many people there. But they, what do they do that for? Because we fellowship. And Jesus said, look, he said, you let me in and I want to have an ongoing relationship with you, not just on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. I want to hear from you and I want you to hear from me and I want you to walk with me and talk with me and I want you to get to know me. You can keep Jesus, a stranger on your journey, but you're going to walk and be sad, just like these two were. Jesus said, you're walking and you're so sad. Why were they sad? Well, because he was a stranger to them. So they were sad. The more you know Jesus, the more joy you will have. Happiness is Something we experience because of a happening, but joy is something that comes from within. Joy is an inside job, and it comes from being close to him. And, and, you know, why wouldn't you want to have Jesus with you on a daily basis? He already knows everything about you, so there's nothing you can tell him where he's going to say, are you kidding me? I did not know that's what you did, or that's where you went. Or that's what you've been thinking. It's like I say, Jesus never says, well, I'll be about anything. See, he knows everything about you today. He knows the problems you're fighting. He knows your health problems, children problems, grandchildren problems, financial problems, marital problems, temptation problems. He knows them all. And he wants to share in it with you. Uh, he, he knows every detail of your life, your past, your present, your future. He knows it all. He knows your fears. He knows your loneliness. He knows your worries. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows you inside out. Wasn't he fully aware that when he came up to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were sad? He already knew. He knows if you're sad. He knows if you're glad. He knows your life. So he says, don't let me be a stranger to you. You're not a stranger to me. Don't let me be a stranger to you. 
So here, that was their problem, three part. Disappointed plans, living in the past, and distant from Jesus. And those three things took away their zeal and took away their joy. But there was a three-part solution. And let me quickly tell it to you today. The next three things they did restored their fire, got them back into the game, and got them back into the epicenter of God's will for their life. How many of you want the Holy Ghost fire on your heart? You want zeal. Let me see your hands. Come on, show me. How many of you want to be in the center of his will for your life? You don't want to get stuck in Emmaus. Amen? Because, see, if Jesus had not come up in them, they'd have ended up in Emmaus, and they would have missed the whole move and purpose of God for their life. Now, let me tell you something I can say in Texas that I couldn't say in New York. If you're stuck in Emmaus, you're in Emmaus. And, you know, there are people all over this city that are in Emmaus. They, they got offended. They got this. They got that. They, they, they got confused. They got hurt, disillusioned, whatever. And they went off, and they have gone off to a little place called Emmaus, and they're stuck there, and they've built their house there, and they've planted their roots there, and they're going to miss everything that God had for them. And some of them are watching me by video right now. You need to get out of Emmaus and get back into church and back into the move of God. You do. And I say that in love because I've been there, all right? So everybody say, I'm coming out of Emmaus. How do you get out? But here's the first thing they did to fix where they were. They told their problems to Jesus. Can everybody say with me, tell him. Now they're starting to get somewhere now. At first they've been living in the past, doing all this, stranger to Jesus. But now they're getting somewhere. They told their problems to Jesus not knowing it was Jesus. They explained why they were going home defeated. Here's what they said to this stranger. They said, we're so disappointed. Let me tell you where we really are, the reason we're going home, the reason we're forgetting it all. Uh, we just knew that Jesus was going to change everything, and now it's ruined. Uh, now our dreams are shattered. We don't know where to go, what to do. Everything I had, all of my stock in has failed, and, and all my expectations have come crashing in. And that's why we are where we are. And not knowing it, they had begun therapy with Jesus because they told him their stuff. Did you know that when you open up to Jesus and tell him your stuff and get honest with him and get out of the religious thing and don't feel like you can't tell him everything about yourself, the Bible says pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So there's nothing that Jesus is going to be shocked about, nothing he hasn't heard before, and, and, and he doesn't need us to be honest with him for his sake. He needs us to be honest with him for our sake because when we pour out our hearts to him, then things begin to get better better. You unload. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Psalms 55, 22, roll your burdens upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. We are to unload our stuff onto the Lord. And this was the turning point in their journey. They unloaded. And you know what? They did the first thing so they could do the second thing. The second thing they did, they listened to Jesus. 
They listened. I want you to know if, if, if you're listening, he's talking. If you're listening, he's there. And after unloading, then, then they got all of their cares and worries onto him, so they were able to hear him. Have you ever noticed that sometimes Christians just have tin ears when it comes to listening to the voice of God? We just have dull hearing. You know why? Because we're loaded down with so much trouble and so many problems, we can't hear the counsel of the Lord. So after they unloaded and told him their stuff, then they listened to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He had a Bible study with them says he opened up the word to them. He went back to the Old Testament. He told them all the prophecies about the Messiah, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he must be judged in the place of of humanity. And they told him all of those, the other side of the messianic prophecies. And as he did so, they later looked back and they said this, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us and opened to us the scriptures? They looked back and said, we started getting our Holy Ghost heart burned back after we unloaded on him and after we began to listen to him and listen to the word through him, it began to reignite our hearts and heaviness was turned to joy and defeat was turned to victory and we began to be restored as we unloaded and then listened. So do you want Holy Ghost heartburn? Let me tell you how to get it. This word, oh, this is a dangerous word. If you read this word very much, it's going to set your heart on fire. When I get down, when I get blue, when I get discouraged, let me tell you what I don't do. I don't turn on Good Morning America. I don't turn on the Today Show. I sure don't turn on The View. Forgive me, I don't mean to offend anybody. But I'm not going to go to the world to give me for what only God can give me. I, I turn off the TV. I turn off the radio. I put down anything secular. And I open up the Word of God and I let the Word set my heart on fire. Is not my Word like a fire, the Bible says? Is my Word not like a hammer that breaks hard hearts into pieces? Is my Word not quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and and spirit and joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. So as they poured it out on the Lord and then listened to the Lord, then he began to restore their zeal and their romance with him and their passion. Is that what you need today? This is your answer right out of the Bible. And the third step, and this is really good, they invited Jesus into their life. Because here they are, they're walking. And they're getting close to Emmaus. They begin to see the houses. <clears throat> they begin to see the familiar roads. And they're drawing near to the home of one of them. And it says that Jesus acted like he was going to walk on by, just like he did on the sea. When they were in the boat and he came walking on the water, he made like he was going to pass them by And they had to call to him to get into the boat with them. And now he's acting like he's going to walk on by their house and they have to call to him to go into the house with them. You know, sometimes the Lord wants us to give him a call. Sometimes he wants an official invitation. 
And so he got into the boat with them and he went into the house with them. They invited him. The, the, the word used is so strong. They constrained him when he looked like he was going to keep on going. That means they almost forced him. We could put it this way. They wrapped their arms around him and said, you're not going anywhere. Come into my house. And they invited him into their home. So watch this. Really, really important. They talked to him. Then they listened to him. Then they invited him. Can you say it with me? They talked to him. They listened to him. Then they invited him. So Jesus stopped and he went into the house. He always goes where he's welcome. And he sat down at a table and they pulled out a piece of bread. And they were about to eat. Now, heretofore, they weren't fully sure who this was. It says he broke the bread. When he broke the bread, it says their eyes were opened. Why would breaking the bread make their eyes open? Because just a week before, he'd sat at another table with them. When he instituted the first Lord's Supper that we did today, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he broke that bread, something in them connected the dots, and they said, this is Jesus. And their eyes were opened. We know him as the one who was broken for us. And it says when their eyes were open, they go, oh, it's the Lord. He vanished from their sight. Now, I can't explain that one except this. It's like he was saying the job is done. They're restored. Their hearts are on fire. And he vanished as if to say, I'm going back to Jerusalem because that's where I'm about to pour out my spirit. So get out of Emmaus and get back in the game. Amen. Doesn't the Bible just live? And so they recognize Jesus, and then the Bible says their lives were changed, and that's how it closes. Their lives were changed. It says that very hour they got up and returned. to. They weren't even home long enough to let the dogs out. They sat down. Their eyes were open. He disappeared. They said, we're out of here. We're going back to Jerusalem, which is the will of God for us. We're going back to Jerusalem in time for the Spirit of God to fall. We're going back to Jerusalem to get into the game. We're going back to Jerusalem where the action is. We are going back to Jerusalem where our calling resides. We are not going to sell out, cop out, bend, break, back down, stay here. We're not going to soak and sour. We're getting out of here and we're getting back in the game. Say with me, he changed their sorrow into joy, defeat into victory, doubts into hope, loneliness into fellowship. And you know what? Their heavy hearts were set on fire. And these two men were there when the spirit fell. And flames of fire sat over their head. They were there when Peter stood up and preached the first New Testament message and 3,000 people came to Christ. They were a part of that Jerusalem church and everything that Jesus did and think they would have missed it all if they'd stayed in Emmaus. How many of you, once again, want that heart on fire? Can we stand together today? And let's just try this again because some of you may need to go out and do this very thing. But say with me, tell him your stuff. Listen to his counsel. Invite him in. 
Can we just do that right now? Can you just lift your hands towards the Lord and say, Lord, today, I'm going to pour out my problems to you. I give you the financial stuff. Whatever it is, I want you to take a minute right now. Temptation, problems at home, marital problems, children problems, financial issues that are just gripping you and strangling you. I want you to give it to the Lord. Give it to Him today. I want you to picture Him just taking them up into His hand and saying, I've got it. And then pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord, give me ears to hear what you're saying to me. And then pray this with me, because I pray it with you. Say, Lord, as I tell you and as I listen, set my heart on fire. Give me fresh fire, because I invite you into my daily life. Now, I'm going to lead some of you in a prayer. You can just pray with me right where you are. Some of you have drifted from the Lord, and perhaps there's someone here who can say, You know, Jeff, he's a stranger to me. I, I don't know him like I want to. Well, friend, listen, he's as far away as an invitation. He got into the boat when they invited him, he went into the home when they invited him. He's as close as an invitation. So I'm going to lead you in a simple invitation to Jesus. Say, Lord, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn to you as Savior and Lord. Walk with me. Talk with me. Help me to come to know you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip your hand up in the air? Just put it up. I see you. Several of you right there. God bless you. Several of you. Many of you. I want you, I want you to do something. I want you to forget about everybody here. And I just want you to slip out. And I want you to come and stand right here. I want to have a prayer with you. Would you do that? I want to have a prayer with you right here. Say, do I really need to go up there in front of her? Nobody's looking. Nobody. We've all been there. I want you to come and say, I prayed that prayer with you. And I invite Jesus into my life today. Come and stand right here. Thank you, Lord. Come and stand right here from all over the building. He's a good Savior. He's, he's so wonderful to know. It's a beautiful sight. Now I want to I want you all to look up at me. I see the Lord touching you, ministering to you. And I want you to know that we're, gonna, we're just going to finish with a prayer. And then this man is going to take you into a back room back here and pray with you one more time and give you something to take home with you. Because we want to see you again.
okay? You need to be in a church home, and you need a, God's giving you a new life today. And it begins with a prayer. I did it when I was in jail. Can you believe that? I was in jail at 16. And as a 16-year-old juvenile delinquent in all kinds of trouble, I asked Christ into my heart. And he came in. And I'm up here because of that. So I want to pray with you, and then I want you to go back there. And let's just do this. Lord, I just thank you for these precious people and what has happened today in their life. And I pray that as they come to you, that, Lord, you will seal this with a mighty touch from your spirit, seal to the day of redemption, deliver them from anything that's going to hold them back, and do it quickly. Snap the chains, break the fetters, give them new friends, new relationships, new surroundings. Help them, Lord, to make the break and fully step into what God has for them. And again, I pray quickly, Lord. And I thank you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Now.